Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word and that your word remains the same. We bless you and we pray that you would speak your word to us this morning. Any of my words which are not your word, may they fall to the ground and blow away. But may your word remain. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you. I think maybe now more than ever, we need to remember to have a good sense of humor, or as my dad says, humor. Evidently, in northern Maine, they don't say the letter H whenever it's followed by a long U sound. My family has long made fun of my dad for this, and there's no need to stop that now, and so I think that in times like these, we all need to have a huge sense of humor. I think the hardest I laughed in the last week was when I heard the story about an American actor and songwriter named Jared Leto, who at the beginning of March decided it was a good idea to take a 12-day trip out into the desert in order to meditate and detox. He had no phone, no communication with him, and he was totally isolated. And when he finally reemerged back into society, he was shocked to hear about the outbreak of coronavirus and that effectively, immediately, he would need to go back into isolation. It's amazing that despite our isolation, we can still hold a worship service through the use of technology, which we are doing our best to adapt. I'm thankful to the Lord who allows us to connect despite our lack of connection. This week, I was talking with Father Matt Rucker at Christ Church Anglican in Central Phoenix, and he said he's actually glad that we're doing our worship services using technology instead of in person, because at least with computers, we don't need to worry about viruses. He's joking, of course. Some of you, I'm sure, have more viruses in your computer right now than you will ever have in your body. It's good for us to laugh, and I'm thankful to the Lord for humor. Today we're going to be looking at the gospel passage, the lesson from John chapter 9. I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles and to follow along with me this morning. The chapter begins with Jesus walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And if we look back at the end of chapter 8, we would see this scene where Jesus was interacting with the Jewish leaders in the temple. And in that dialogue, Jesus essentially equates himself with God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. The Jewish leaders were so irate at this apparent blasphemy that they picked up rocks and they tried to stone Jesus, but Jesus must have been really good at dodgeball because he manages to get away without any trouble. And this is where chapter 9 picks up as Jesus is walking away from the temple. He passes by a man on the side of the road who had been blind for his entire life. He was born that way. He knew nothing but blindness. He had no understanding of what animals, what people, what clouds looked like. And upon seeing this man, Jesus' disciples pose a question to Jesus, their teacher. And basically they ask him, whose fault is it? Who sinned and made it so this guy cannot see? And Jesus' answer 
is really surprising. You see, his disciples kind of had the perspective that Job's friends had. Like, if you're suffering right now, it must be because God is punishing you for something bad that you did. And yet Jesus' answer is so different. He says, this man's blindness isn't his fault, and nor was it the fault of his parents. Instead, God allowed it so that God might display his power. Now, after saying this with his words, Jesus performs just that. He actually goes ahead and puts the power of God on display for them to see. You see, remember, the Pharisees had not believed that he was God, and they had tried to stone him. But Jesus goes ahead and he gives them this proof of their pow- his power, even though they're not there to see it. And the way Jesus does this, the way he shows God's power, is by spitting. He bends down and he spits on the dirt and then he rubs his fingers in it in order to make mud. Now this is something we might expect a little boy to do. Like he's playing with his trucks in the dirt and he decides it would be so much better if the trucks had mud to go through. And so he makes that mud happen. Well, why on earth is a grown man making mud with his spit? Well, if we say so that Jesus could heal him, we should realize that Jesus didn't need spit mud to heal anyone. He could have just said the words. So what's this for? Well, honestly, it's a bit unclear. Jesus, who we would all like to think we are relatively familiar with, often does things that are so unfamiliar. Certainly, in the ancient Near East, mud was seen as something with medicinal qualities. So perhaps... Jesus is associating his actions with the creation of medicine for the body. Or perhaps there's an echo here of Genesis 2, where the God who created out of the dirt of the ground is now creating again with the same stuff. Nevertheless, Jesus takes the mud from which he made with his own mouth and he scoops it up and he smears it all over this man's eyes. And what a shock that must have been. You see, Jesus did not warn this man that this was coming. He didn't even ask the man whether he wanted it done or not. In fact, there was nothing Jesus required from this man except simply that he receive the mud. And do you know what we call that? We call that grace. When we receive from God without deserving it and without asking for it, that's grace. And sometimes God's grace feels like mud in the eyes. Now, if this man couldn't see before the mud, he definitely couldn't see with mud all over his eyes. And so Jesus tells him to go and wash it off in the pool of Siloam. And doing what Jesus said to do, which we should recognize as a manifestation of this man's faith, this man believed Jesus. The man then went to Siloam, and he washed the mud off. And when he did so, He could see for the very first time in his entire life. Well, when the man came back to where Jesus, where he lived, Jesus was gone. But the people around him who were his neighbors, they they saw this guy and they said, wow, this guy looks really familiar, but I just can't place him. He kind of looks like the blind beggar. But the blind beggar is blind and he's a beggar. And this guy isn't either of those, so he must just be a doppelganger. 
But the ex-blind beggar kept telling them, guys, I'm that guy. And so finally they asked him, okay, tell us then how you got your sight. And so the man told them, the man who's called Jesus, he anointed my eyes with mud. And then he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and so I did. And as soon as I had done that, I could see. Now, the people wanted to know where Jesus was, but of course the man didn't know. And so they decided to bring him to the Jewish leaders because surely they would know what to do. These could have been the very leaders who just hours before tried to stone Jesus. And so you can probably imagine how this might have went, and you'd be right. It says the Pharisees reviled the man. They were not happy for him. They were not filled with wonder. They did not question their own judgment. No, they were simply filled with condemnation. Why? Because the man named Jesus had healed him of his blindness. And Jesus had done it on the Sabbath day of all days. And in doing so, this man believed Jesus. And the only thing that mattered to the Jewish leaders was that the man whom they just tried to stone had gone out and put the glory of God on display. And so they said to the man, you may be a disciple of this Jesus, but we are disciples of Moses. The point being, between the two, Moses and Jesus, who do you think is more important to the Jewish religion? And they obviously thought Moses, but obviously they were wrong. The man said to them, what an amazing thing. Jesus opened my eyes, and we know that God only listens to those who worship him and do his will. And so if this Jesus were not from God, then he could do nothing. But as it is, this Jesus has done something that no one has ever done since the world began, not even Moses. And at that, the Pharisees reviled the man even more, and they said, how dare you teach us? You sinful, sinful man. And they threw him out of the temple. The story doesn't end there, though, because Jesus found the man after he had been bounced from the temple. And Jesus asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, Well, I don't know who he is, so I don't know if I believe in him. And to that, Jesus said, You have seen the Son of Man. And he is speaking to you now, meaning the one who just opened your eyes and allowed you to see is the Son of Man. And it is that man whom you are seeing with your very eyes at this moment. And the man declared, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. I think today is a pretty decent Sunday to talk about healing. Not only are we in Lent, in which we are meant to re-examine ourselves and specifically our deep need for God's grace and mercy in our lives, but we are also in the midst of a global outbreak of disease. And so as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday and I considered what to share with you this morning, the answer was clear. So this morning I'll be preaching on healing and the kingdom of God. Last week in my sermon on worldview, I said that the kingdom of God is where God's redemptive work transforms creation into what God intended creation to be. 
So as you might imagine, the reality of God's healing power in our lives has a lot to do with the kingdom of God. We hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God a lot through the Gospels. And in this passage, in John chapter 9, Jesus doesn't say anything about it. Instead, he shows it to us. He shows it to us at the level of a single human person. Christ's redemptive work transformed this blind man's eyes into what God intended them to be. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. A very important concept in the Bible is this word shalom. It's the Hebrew word which we translate in English, peace. But it is so much bigger of a word than that English word. Shalom captures the idea of wholeness in complete mind and body and soul and relationships and creation. Shalom is essentially what it means for God to take things that are not right and to make them right again. And therefore, God's kingdom is the place where shalom is. You know you've experienced God's kingdom when you experience and see the effects of shalom. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that when Jesus Christ became incarnate as a human, that one of the things that demonstrated the arrival of the kingdom of God was healing. Broken things being made right again. Jesus' ministry was marked by miracles of healing, which the prophet Isaiah foretold would be true of the Messianic reign. And that's because God is a God of healing. And therefore, the kingdom of God is about healing, which brings shalom wholeness to our minds and our bodies and our spirits. Now, if we weren't aware of our desperate need for God's healing before this coronavirus outbreak, then we are certainly now. It seems like the whole world is in unrest. Shalom, peace is not something we're seeing a lot of at this moment. Of course, we're always in need of God's healing. It's not new. Not only in our physical bodies, but in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships with other people. But all of us, most importantly, are all in need of spiritual healing, which is because of the disease of sin through which we've created this deepest isolation from God that is possible and which one way or another always leads to death. Jesus Christ came to heal all our diseases, including that. Most of all, that. What we see in this gospel passage is that Jesus brings healing not only to the eyes of this man who suffered from physical blindness, yet the beautiful thing about this healing is that it also results in healing from spiritual blindness as well. My wife Christy has struggled with serious problems with her eyesight for over a year now. And the very first visit we made to her retina specialist, we found out how serious this condition was, and we were very scared. At the time, my son Ezra was about six months old, and so Christy was breastfeeding him. And we had spent so many hours at the doctor's office that she needed to go and find a place to pump, and there was nowhere to go. And so her doctor actually graciously invited her to go into his office in order to have some privacy. Now, what kind of doctor does that? And there, in this doctor's office, hanging on the wall, 
was something that spoke to Christie's soul. It was a paint, a painting of Jesus healing this blind man. What we learn from this passage is that this man's blindness wasn't a result of the, this man's individual sins or even the sins of his parents, but it was the result of humanity's corporate sin and God's curse upon creation. But Jesus reminds us in this passage what God's purposes are, even amidst sin and curse. And that is to display his power and his glory. Jesus came to show God's power and his glory in the midst of our brokenness. And that is sheer grace. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it. We don't even need to ask for it. Instead, as we see in this passage, Christ's healing actually leads us to faith in him, which then leads us to worship of him. God is a God of healing, and although we eagerly groan with all of creation for the new creation, what I earnestly believe is that God often delights to heal us even now, no matter what difficulties we face, whether physical or spiritual. We are in such deep need of God's healing. Our world is in such deep need of God's healing. And I don't just mean from COVID-19, although I certainly mean that as well. As you know, when it comes to the coronavirus, some people put their trust in medicine and science. If we can just develop a vaccine quickly, if we can just find a successful treatment, then we'll be okay. I think we should all hope for that. That's a good thing. Medicine and science are amazing things. And what most humans miss, Christians should be well aware of, and that is that God is the author of both science and medicine. So the credit that comes from any healing in, through medicinal treatments or through scientific research, it, it doesn't primarily go to the doctors and to the researchers, but to the Lord of creation. God's the one who's given plants and chemicals for healing. God's the one who's given knowledge and abilities to physicians and researchers. God is the one who has even designed our bodies in such a way that they are able to heal themselves from any injuries and sicknesses. And whenever God's healing comes through natural means, and it does, God is worthy of the praise. There may be a COVID-19 vaccine eventually, or maybe a successful treatment, but while COVID-19 may be cured, there are so many other maladies that have no medicinal solution, like being born blind, like the disease of rebellious souls, like our impending death. So thanks be to God, he doesn't just heal through natural means. Jesus' entire earthly ministry was characterized by supernatural healings. And it didn't stop there. Maybe you noticed, or maybe you haven't, how those who followed Jesus, they experienced the same kind of healings. You see, not only did Jesus heal, but he gave power and authority to his followers that they too might become ministers of healing. He gave authority to heal to the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10. 
He gave authority to heal to the 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. He promised his apostles the Holy Spirit with the authority to heal in Acts chapter 1. And finally, Jesus gave authority to heal to the church, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul tells us God has given us gifts of the Spirit, which includes the gift of healing, in order that he might build up the church and bring wholeness to the world. And while we know that God's kingdom is not yet fully here with us, and we are promised the future recreation of all things, which is described to us in Revelation 21, yet God still heals today. And so while we may not be super comfortable with it in the Western world, even now in the midst of the already and the not yet, God still heals supernaturally. And he often chooses to use ordinary followers like you and like me to extend that healing. This morning, I want to just ask you one question. And that is, what needs to be healed in you? What needs to be healed in you? Some of us have this idea that God doesn't care about us enough to heal us. Or maybe that God expects us to be perfect or at least to do better before he can work with us. Or maybe we've just seen too many times where God hasn't healed us in the past and we just can't bring ourselves to believe that God can or will this time. Listen to what Jesus tells the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5 about why he came. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick need the physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What that means is if you're sick and you know it, Christ came for you. Christ came to heal you. And he's not simply interested in healing our souls, but all of us. That's what shalom means. It means wholeness for every part of who we are. God's healing power is available to heal us of our diseases, of our injuries, of our trauma, of our memories, of our addictions, of our depression, of our psychoses, of our abuses. Whatever form our woundedness takes, God's healing is available here and now. So I'll ask it again. What needs to be healed in you? This is a question I'm asking you, but it's also a question that we need to ask God. You see, sometimes we don't know when we're in need of healing or when we're sick. That's true with the coronavirus. You can be infected and not even realize it because you're asymptomatic, but that doesn't change the fact that you're infected. So we might need to ask God, God, what does need to be healed in me? During the prayers of the people today, I want to encourage you to pause this video and to pray specifically that God would show you where you need healing. But I also want to extend another invitation to you this week 
Just as Jesus anointed the blind man's eyes with mud, so he called leaders in his church to be ministers of anointing. This is why the Apostle James writes in James chapter 5, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, ordinarily, we would offer healing prayer and anointing with oil during our service of Holy Communion, but we can't really do that now, can we? And so as strange as it might sound, and it does sound strange, I'm going to offer drive-up healing prayer. At the beginning of this week, I'm going to be sending you out an email with time slots that you can sign up to come by the church and receive anointing in healing prayer. I'll have an explanation of what that looks like and instructions for what you should do. So I just want to encourage you, be looking for that email in your inbox. And if you feel so led, come. There's a lot more I could say about healing. It's no small topic. And so I've written up a few extra thoughts and I've included them on the website. You'll notice a button that says sermon extras. I encourage you to click that and to take a look. In closing today, what I want to do is simply encourage you. God is with you. God is with us. And God is healer. This pandemic, it's, it's not scary to God. God's not worried or anxious. He's not trying to figure out how he's going to provide for all of our needs, whatever supplies we're running out of. He's not oblivious to our sufferings. Instead, as with all of our difficulties, we have in this time a new occasion to learn how to trust his goodness and his power. God is still good. And God is still sovereign. And I expect that as we continue to seek his face in the midst of this, God is going to speak to us and minister to us in ways that we might not even be able to anticipate yet. And in those moments, I expect that we will also find ourselves uniquely poised to minister to those around us. So in this time, as always, my brothers and sisters, may God be your comfort. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are also in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted. By God. Amen.